0: You're listening to the Todd Rod God Pod, a podcast hosted by Pastor Todd Redarmel and Drew Tilton, where we explore ideas of faith and what it means to have a sustainable spirituality. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Todd Rod God Pod. Team. Hey Drew. RGP. We should maybe use the acronym more. I G P. I don't Does know. Does it sound okay. cool? It doesn't sound as cool as Todd Rogotpad. <laughs> Todd Ragapod. It's already a cool name. Um we are back in studio for the first time in a while. Yeah, I know. We've been yeah. recording remotely. We have been. But now and we're here. We're here I can actually socially see distanced. You six feet away from me, but you look good. You look really good. I don't have my glasses on, but I believe that you look really good. Mm. So Todd. I've been really excited about this. We talked about this when we were planning out this season, and this was one of the topics I was most excited about. Um, and it is about the end of the world. It's the end the of the, the world, world as we know it. We have to pay it. copyright now because oh, you sing. <laughs> All right, never mind. <laughs> That's the end of the world as we know it, and 2020 feels like the end of the world. It. I think a lot of people
1: have uh, had that feeling. It's definitely <laughs> felt like everything's fallen apart. And- There's been
0: a lot of good memes about like God talking to the angel of torment or something and saying, "Now you put out the uh you put out all the bad stuff for 2020, right?" And he said, y- "You mean for the 2020s, right?" And <laughs> the joke is that we got a decades worth of bad things all in the first year. So maybe we won't have any bad stuff after this. Yeah, I don't know. That'd be all right. <laughs> so obviously uh, we joke, but you know there are plenty of people who are serious about the idea that we are in end times. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've I've heard this since I was a kid. So I want to temper that reaction in some ways, but in other ways, I, I do want to ask you: Are there reliable ways that we can know if we're in end times based on the Bible, and what does that look like? Uh, how do we respond to the end times? What does the Bible say about the end times? I think we have so many things that are mixed in that some of it's pop culture that we happen to think is part of the Bible and some of it's, you know, misinterpretations. some of it's real stuff that's in there that's confusing to a lot of people. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, it's a big topic.
1: Yeah. It's a big topic. So I, I think the the thing that, that made me want to talk about it is just because I have had so many people, I think I've just seen so many people talking about, um, I don't know, things like, you know, getting a vaccine is like the mark of the beast or something like that. And they're worried <laughs> about, you know, uh, I don't know, like somebody being the antichrist or the mark, you know, and, and so there's all these kind of like things in popular imagination of, of, uh, just Christian lingo that kind of sit out there. And and like you said, they, they partly get mixed in with, you know, left behind novels that we read, you know, a long time ago yeah, or uh, that's scripture, you know, right? Those, those books. Yeah, no, <laughs> Nick Cage um, in the movie or those books or those movies that they used to show when I was in high school to try to scare the hell out of you to make you become <laughs> literally. A Christian. They were like, uh, you've been left behind like that kind of thing. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, there, there's a lot of that, but, um, but I just, you know, I, I I see a lot of that in the popular imagination, but I think a lot of it is is based on I think um faulty interpretations of the Bible or ways of reading the Bible that aren't always helpful. Um and and I think, you know, as a as somebody that like that's what I do is I read the Bible and study it. Like I, I wanna help people have, um, at least better lenses to question their interpretation. Cause sometimes mm-hmm. we grow up with an interpretation and, you know, for me growing up, I always, because I had watched all those, um, you know, those movies back before the, um, you know, left behind books and movies come out, came out there was the late great
0: planet earth back in the seventies. Right. And, um, and some of basically things. the version of red asphalt that they show you at driving school, But they're for Christians, right? (laughs) Yes, yes. To just try to like, you know, (laughs) to scare scare you into whatever. And and
1: a lot of them are just based on a a certain type of interpretation of the Book of Revelation and parts of the Book of Daniel and other things that Jesus said. That you know, I think people be growing up certainly in California and around the Calvary Chapel movement because Calvary Chapel was really built a lot of evangelism around, you know, tell people to get right or get left, you know, like get ready because there's a rapture coming and God could come Mm. back. Jesus could come back at any moment and, and you don't want to be left behind and be kind of stuck here in the tribulation. And, and that particular view has a, a a name, like they call it a, like a pre-tribulation millennialist, like a, um, you know, premillennial, pre-tribulation kind
0: of a, a view of understanding the book of Revelation. So maybe break this down a little bit, because I think some people that are listening probably don't understand the idea of an interpretation of the Bible. Because, you know, there are people who say... You know, and maybe people have heard this, there's nothing to interpret. Just read it and you'll see the answers there. And, you know, it's, it, there's almost like a, oh no, we take the literal view of the Bible. And you're like, well, you can still take a literal view of the Bible, but understand it through the lens of, hey, this is what this is literally, what Revelation is. So talk to me about that. Why would you need to interpret Revelation?
1: Well, you need to interpret everything that you. Read or see, because like, you know, for instance, um, when, when you read different genres of, you know, you can tell when you're reading poetry, you can tell when you're reading um, a want ad, like help wanted ad, just mm-hmm. by the way you're reading it. You can tell when you're reading prose, you can tell when it's a fiction story, because you know the, the clues that clue you in to the different genres that you read. The Bible's full of all different kinds of genres, right? right? There's, there's letters, and you're reading somebody else's mail, literally. Um, and so there's a certain amount of interpretation in the letters that, you know, you you got to remember, okay, I'm reading somebody else's mail, and they wrote in a different way than we would necessarily write today. And so right. understanding what you're reading, as opposed to you're reading law, law, um, you know, laws out of a law book. Right, because the genres
0: genre. aren't necessarily the same as our modern-day genres, so right. we can't understand them through those same lenses. So even something like a letter, they call them epistles because they're they're not just like a letter like we think of them today, but they have different, you know, really
1: nuanced functions. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then things like when when you come to a book like The Revelation uh, of Jesus Christ, which is the the last book of the Bible, people often call it revelations. It's it's not. It's called the revelation or the apocalypse. Hmm. And it doesn't mean zombie apocalypse, and it actually doesn't mean the end of the world. Um, apocalypse just means a revelation, a revealing, an unveiling, a peeling back the curtain so you can get a God's eye perspective
0: on what's going on on the earth. That's such a big deal, just to understand that right there, because when we think apocalyptic— We only think the end of the world, but actually I think there's so much in the apocalypse in air quotes that, um, is actually good news. Oh yeah. There's a lot of good news. In fact, I'd say it's mostly good news, the apocalypse, but we, we think about it through this weird pop culture lens of like, oh my gosh, the apocalypse, that means what, you know, like the end of the world, but then. There's actually some really good news at the end of that, that Jesus is going to make a new world, like mm-hmm. a, a, um, a redeemed world.
1: Right, bringing heaven and earth together and the renewal or the restoration right. of all things, uh, you know, the beautiful bride dressed for her husband coming down out of heaven to the earth, that there's this, yeah, this this restoration and this beautiful picture. And it is it is good news, written purposely for telling people um, that are going through the midst of incredible struggle Hmm. and all kinds of hell breaking loose on the earth. Don't worry. You know, we win in the end. (laughs) Jesus Mm -hmm. wins in the end. And so in that sense, I'd say this is a very timely book for our 2020 year because like, yes, 2020 has felt like all hell is breaking loose on the earth. But what revelation, the the revelation uh, of Jesus Christ reminds you is Jesus is still seated on the throne. Hmm. He is the lamb who was slain, who is the lion, who is uh, triumphing by what he did on the cross and in his resurrection, and as we follow him into that. So the ultimate picture and message of of the book is one of hope and encouragement. And it was written to people who were really going through a very difficult time and persecution and difficult times in the first century. Like, if we think we have it bad in 2020, I mean, the guy that was writing it was exiled on an island to fend for himself, um, you know. Which is who? Which is uh, John, the revelator, whoever this guy is that he got the revelation. Some people think it's the, the Apostle John who was the, the same John as in the Gospels. Some people think it was a different John. but Like the, um, the
0: person who is the author of the book of John. Yes. Okay. Yeah, t-
1: traditionally, um, they see the, the author of the book of John, the gospel according to John, and the three letters of John, and the Revelation are seen as the same person.
0: But, you know, scholars debate that kind of stuff all the time. Sure. But either way, he's a follower of Jesus. He's old. He's a follower of Jesus. He's old. He's, uh, he's
1: exiled for his faith on this island of Patmos. And he has this series of, of visions and writes in the tradition of, you know, like visionary dream, like like Daniel or like Joseph in the you know Book of Genesis, right? Which he is imagery, dreams, right? Imagery. Tons All of these of imagery. pictures of imagery and um, yeah, symbols, uh, lots of you know number symbols and other imagery that comes out of the rest of the Bible. Which that's the thing is, in order to really understand Revelation, you've got to really understand you know Genesis up to there, mm-hmm. um, to really help you understand the imagery. Especially, there's a lot drawn from Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, and all the prophets um, of that kind of language that's used. And it, it helps you to be able to interpret. But but not interpret as if it's like this Bible code trying to give you the secret of when the end of the world is, which mm. is I think the the problem that most people get into with and I think that leads them astray in trying to even read the, the book of Revelation because the book itself says that there's a blessing for reading it out loud and, and hearing it. And mm. it really is a blessing of encouragement. Um, but I think when you're trying to like match it up with your newspaper and figure out the timetable as if it was telling us a timetable for the end of the world,
0: I don't think that's what the book is about. Right. That's not the goal of the book. And I think that's funny because I think sometimes people are so intimidated by trying to interpret it that they don't read it. Like they just avoid it. I've always, you know, especially when I was a, a newer Christian, I just avoided it because I just, I didn't understand it. And I was kind of like, well, how am I supposed to be the one to interpret this stuff and understand the end times and stuff like that. When in fact there's, when you do read it, you see that there's so much in there that can be a blessing when you understand you know, kind of what you're saying. Like, mm-hmm. this is a um, a vision given to give people that are going through a lot of pain hope mm-hmm. that in the end, Jesus wins. Well, and, and that's the thing. With any
1: any passage of the Bible, the, the thing you want to do is you want to ask yourself, like, who's writing this? To whom are they writing it? And why? Mm. Like, because you're going to misinterpret things. You know, for instance, everybody, you know, is always trying to figure out, like, as if, as if this was code about something that was going to happen thousands and thousands of years later. Um, why would, why would John feel the need to write that? Or why would Jesus want to reveal that to people that were going through incredible persecution in the first century? Um, that, hey, don't worry about it. Cause um, thousands of years from now, it'll all work out. Hmm. Like, they needed encouragement then. Like right. he's writing to actual churches, and there's like seven of them that are named in the beginning of it. He's writing to actual churches, actual people that are going through a very difficult time under persecution, probably under Domitian. They had been through persecution under Nero. They had been persecuted and and you know by by the um, Jewish authorities as well as by the Romans. And so just like Jesus had been, and and this message of you know no matter what they do to you that. that You know, Jesus wins. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And, you know, ultimately by loving our enemies the way Jesus did, by praying for those people, by professing Jesus as the king of the world, um, no matter what the beasts and the empires of the world do to you, right? you know, Jesus is going to ultimately win. He's king of kings and Lord of lords, even though he looks like a slain lamb.
0: Right. Yeah, and so you could even say that it has deep meaning for the people back then and what they were going through, but it also can have this dual meaning of God using it to encourage us as we read it through the lens of, like we read a lot of scripture, they're dealing with specific situations, but we can take that and transpose it and learn from it on our own situation. So you think like Paul's letters written to specific people, but there's so much in those that we can take for ourselves and learn about what it's like to be a church, what it's like to be a family. Um, and so perhaps this can kind of fit in a similar vein versus it being, oh, this is going to be this code that travels through all this time and isn't relevant to anybody but the people that land in 2020 or the people that land in 2045 or, the, yeah. you know, like all of a sudden it's yeah, going to be. Yeah, it's, it's definitely relevant initially to the people it was written to, but it has relevance
1: to us in that, you know, th- this story of how the, the governments and empires of the world trample i mean this was the message of daniel right the beast right. that comes and tramples but then the the son of man comes and you know overcomes all of the, yeah. the beasts of the world and reigns and his reign never ends it's the same message just in a longer version with all these series of visions and
0: right and it's kind of what Jesus does with Isaiah and what he does with Daniel right is he takes those and though those were relevant to them about the about Babylon they were also relevant to the people who were dealing with the Roman Empire And then they can be relevant to the people that were dealing with the British Empire, the, you know, and just go all the way through time. There's always going to be these beasts. And I had a professor when I was studying ministry in school that he used to say, oh, yeah, these are the, there are antichrists, you know, like we think about it as one specific person, but really it's these people that represent the opposite of what Jesus was about. Right, You know, and so i I always thought that was an interesting thought, you know, that throughout time we're going to see many antichrists and not to like crown anybody like this ultimate evil. That isn't what this is about, but that that people throughout history will have such power that they will present themselves as the savior of the world when they truly aren't.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And when they're actually holding values that are the opposite of what the savior of the world is, is doing. Right. And a lot of Christians have done that throughout the years, trying to turn even Jesus in the, you know, the book of the revelation, like he comes and he's got, he's got blood all over him. Like in chapter 19, when he wins at the very end of the whole thing, but he's, he's bloody before the battle starts and he has a sword coming out of his mouth. And it's, it's this language from Isaiah and from Zechariah about him you know, proclaiming, it's what he says that actually it's the, the authority and the thing that he does. It's not like some bloodbath, like I think people try to, to make it to be. It was him right. who was the lamb slain. He's the one who gave his life. And, um, and so as the gospel goes out into all the earth, it's him uh, and his people proclaiming that good news of his word and what he
0: said. Hmm. Yeah, that the idea that it would be somehow that we're going to be a literal army might not be the best interpretation of what he's trying to say there.
1: Right. Like, I mean, it goes against everything else that Jesus right. taught or how he was or how the gospel goes forward. So, um, yeah. Well, and, and that just brings us to the question of, okay, so how do you even interpret this? Because there's different interpretive schemes. Traditionally, um, there's basically kind of four, I guess, different ways of, of interpreting the... Um, you know the book of Revelation per se. One is a preterist to to look back at the past and basically say this, everything that's described in this book happened in the past, and there mm-hmm. are good reasons in the first century to believe that like yeah most of the things that are described here were describing things that were going on at the time. Right. And so from our perspective, these are things that happened in the past. Um, and and so there's a there's a a way of interpreting it and sees those images you know symbolic. Of you know the victory of Christ and His Church moving forward in the world, and of the Bride of Christ being you know the Church, the New Jerusalem, the New Temple, and that the Church really is the picture of this you know heavenly Bride coming down out of heaven, and, and right. That the that's, Church, the people. Yeah, and yeah. it's us. So, so that's one way. Another way is more of an idealist way, which is basically takes the symbols. In the book, as like patterns, and um, this is probably where I think I would probably land somewhere in those first two, but but that these are design patterns that um, they just pick up on things that have been in the Bible all the time, like the like the trumpets and the seals and the bowls are like going back to the the judgments of uh, of the flood, um, you know, kind of the decreation kind of story and of the the judgments that came on Pharaoh. Um, you know, in the, the Exodus story and the judgments on Babylon standing
0: God up against corrupt humanity.
1: Right. And all of the, and basically all of the, the empires of the world that eventually become beasts and, you know, are destroying people. But God is for people. The son of man is the one who triumphs over the beasts. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that it's a, a picture, kind of a, a heaven's eye picture of what happens on the earth all the time. Not that there are specific times where each of these things need to be fulfilled, but that the pattern is governments and you know people with power get corrupt and they destroy the earth, and then God has to bring judgment, just like he did in Egypt, just like he did with uh, you know the flood.
0: Uh, just like he did on Babylon and on Jerusalem. Now, talk to me about that judgment, just for a second. I want to pause because I think that'll feel like a, uh, like a uh, almost like it's it's tipping your hand to oh, you know, the things that are happening in our country right now are judgments that God is you know enacting. All the hurricanes, all the unrest, all the COVID nineteen. It's it's because you know we're a lawless land and and stuff like that. Is that what you mean? I
1: think some people interpret those things as being part of those judgments. Sure. Um, I I would say, I, I think it's something to pay attention to is the question because judgment in the Bible is, is where God gives us over to what we want. Right. So like in Romans one, it says that we, you know, human beings have been suppressing the knowledge of God and then God gives us over mm. to our sin and our, and that becomes a judgment in itself. He gives us over to the consequences right. of what we've done. So God will
0: not be mocked. So if there know, are that things thing.
1: that we're doing that create consequences like, you know, for our environment or for uh, you know, our relationships with other nations, those consequences happen. And sometimes that is the form judgment takes. as God says, "Okay, you're going to keep persisting in a direction." Right. I'm going to take my hand, uh, you know, of protection off and let the consequences come. Not so much that God is throwing lightning bolts from heaven. Right, right. Um,
0: Well, and I think sometimes people think about that as God being angry, but I've heard it reframed, and I think we've talked about it on another episode, where we're actually releasing us to our judgment is a mercy in itself sometimes, because it's like letting your kid touch the stove. You keep telling them, don't touch the stove, don't touch the stove, don't touch the stove, and eventually you're like, all right, go for it. I'll mm -hmm. let you touch the stove because I know that that's going to show you something different than me just telling you over and over and over again. Right. Um, and so I, I think if we reframe it through, you know, because God's motive in all things is love. Yeah, right. Right. And so I think sometimes we think about it like, Oh God's so angry with us that he's sending a hurricane to destroy new Orleans because they have Mardi Gras every year, mm. you know, and you're like, well, that isn't what, you know, I think this is saying, but I think there is something to what you're saying of like God's going to release us to our continued persistent um, way of living that's counter to what he desires for us as a hope that we would repent. You know, there's that verse, I forget where it is, but it talks about the church and it talks about give somebody this many chances, give them, you know, then go to them with this many people. And then if they keep persisting with their sin, release them to it in hopes that they'll see the error of their ways and turn back To God. Right. And so the the hope, even with releasing somebody into that judgment, quote unquote, um, is that they would repent, turn away. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, it's like Jesus, you know, he he was saying um, in Luke 13, some people came and they told him about, you know, uh, how Pilate had killed a bunch of, you know, people that were going to celebrate Passover. And when they went to offer their. Passover lambs for sacrifices. Pilate, you know, slaughtered them, and, um, you know, basically their blood got mixed with the sacrifice. And Jesus says, do you think these were any worse sinners than the rest of the people from Galilee? Hmm. And uh, he goes, no, I'll tell you, no, they're not any worse. But unless you repent, you're all gonna face, you know, you're all gonna perish the same way. Right. And... Jesus wasn't, like, threatening them, like, hey, I'm going to kill you if this happens. But Jesus is saying, look, the direction you guys are headed, the way that you are— Galilee was known for being a place where revolutionaries were. It's why, you know, when Jesus came from Galilee, being, you know, having a large following, everybody got really nervous about that in Jerusalem— because they're like, oh, these are kind of revolutionaries. That's why Jesus said right. up of crucified. Right, yeah, zealots and people that were like, you know, freedom fighter kind of uh, people. Yeah. So, But Jesus says, look, th- that's going to lead you to destruction. And yeah. he all of his warnings, and this is the other thing that I think people miss, they, they hear some of Jesus' warnings, and they interpret them through the lens of like, as if Jesus was making these statements, kind of generic statements for all time, like everyone needs to repent or they're gonna perish, um or when he says um things about you know Gehenna and hell, like a lot of times what Jesus is talking about is specific things in his day to warnings to the people of his day about what was going to happen if they didn't turn right repent, turn around, go the other direction um or you're you know you're headed for destruction, and then you know jesus most famous um sayings that people often interpret as end of the world kind of stuff was not about the end of like the the cosmic order. It was about the end of Jerusalem, the end of the Jewish state, the end of Jerusalem and and the destruction right. of that, which Jesus said would happen in that generation. And and it did. It happened, you know, forty years after Jesus said it, um, right the way that he said it. And so uh, yeah so so a lot of times people are looking for things in the right. future, and this kind of brings back to that preterist idea. they're looking for things in the future that happened in the past and that Jesus was talking about in the past.
0: Now right. that doesn't say there's not going to be some future totally similarity event or, but it's it's almost like it's important for us to understand it in that context so that we can properly use it in our current context, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because if we understand it just as this you know, warning about, you know, like that's for this random future thing, or we just snap it up as a, you know, it's just a, a, a phrase that we say, Oh, well, if you know you do this, then this will happen. Like it, it takes away all of the context that will help the robust understanding of us taking that and applying it to our, our today. Right. Um, and so I just think that's so important. The other thing I was thinking when you were talking about the consequences and stuff is all the things that Jesus said, you know, were, we're really pointing to a lot of these things like, you know, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. You mm-hmm. know, like Jesus was getting ready to die on the cross when he said that to Peter. And he's coming from this place with all these revolutionaries. And, you know, like they who's to say they don't try to just come in and like, you know. No, well, and it's exactly what
1: happened because a few years later after Jesus in 66 A.D., there was a rebellion where they all picked up. You know, swords and went after trying to fight the Romans. And right.
0: they got killed, destroyed, yeah. like completely torn down because of it. And it, but it gives us, like, when we understand that context, it gives us something to look at and say, how are we living in the same way that maybe some of these revolutionaries are living? And how, what, how would Jesus's phrase, what would that mean to us today? Yeah.
1: Well, I, I think, man, I hear it. All the time and people talking about oh, we're gonna have a civil war, and after the election that's not gonna you know they're gonna it's gonna be this next thing and I think part of the fear of you know antifa on the left or proud boys on the right or whatever the you know current versions of people that want to fight, <laughs> you know it's like there's this idea of oh um you know the only way we're gonna do this is through through fighting, I think what Jesus would be saying is. Unless you repent, you're going to perish. That is not the right way. It's not the way to go. <laughs> yeah. Because it leads somewhere. It's like Jesus said when he said, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. It's it's going to happen.
0: Right. And that's interesting. And I mean, not to, I don't want to cause any fear. I don't think this will happen. I don't think there's going to be a civil war. Um, but let's play it out if there were, you know, like... I, I had somebody pose this question to me coming from, a, I mean, they lived in Lebanon, which, you know, has gone through, they went through 20 years of civil war, and now there's a lot of unrest there now. Um, and they said to me, you know, somebody who's experiencing it, in the middle of it, they're a Christian in the midst of it, they said to me, what would Jesus do if civil war came knocking on the door? What would Jesus do if there was an occupying force? What would Jesus do? And I was just like, man, that's a tough question because I think Jesus would go to the cross. <laughs> and it's like...
1: I mean, it's what he did.
0: Yeah. You know, and and I, it's tough when you think about that in that context. But I think it's so interesting because sometimes we can be so prisoners of our our comfortable moment in the United States where we are so blessed, to be honest, we're blessed to have, you know, the opportunities we have for free worship. We're blessed to have the opportunities where we're not living in a war zone. So many people across space and time that, you know, our Christians and otherwise have not had that blessing, but in the midst of that life to the full still for them. Yeah. What does that mean? You know, like I think that has just been really compelling In the midst of this, we talk about 2020 being, you know, having these trials and this this difficulty. Um, How do we live with the same hope? Where our hope isn't in a country that stays together, our hope isn't in not having civil war, our hope isn't in a certain candidate getting elected, but our hope is in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of something where, like for the people this was written to Revelation, it didn't get better in their lifetime.
1: Nope. It like, as not. far
0: as the political situation.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing, is in most of our human history, and for most people, um, you know, these things like the, you talk about famine and pestilence, you know, like disease, war, uh, death, like, hello, that's like... That's like an average day on planet Earth, right? That just
0: depends where we've been blessed that we live in a country where we haven't at least had an active war zone on our land. You know, maybe you could argue, oh, terrorism and Pearl Harbor. But other than those few things, it's not like living in the Congo right now.
1: Right, right. It's not. But, But it's also why I think sometimes, you know, these futurist ways of interpreting the... You know the book of Revelation have been very popular in America, whereas they they were kind of they haven't been the traditional way of like necessarily understanding the book or these kind of things. Like I think people think oh, that even just that idea of I think I mentioned earlier pre-tribulation um, rapture or pre uh, you know the premillennial pre-tribulation like those that idea um, really catches on in America because we just don't. Exp- think of experiencing tribulation like the rest of the world has been experiencing tribulation all the time
0: i think people hear terms like the rapture and pre-tribulation what does that mean like talk about what they're discussing there
1: well i I think two two things one the the rapture thing is something that yeah it's there it basically comes from this verse in first thessalonians um
0: that will be caught up into the air. It says,
1: yeah, when the Lord descends with a shout, the trumpet, the voice of the archangel, will be caught up to meet him in the air. But um, I, I think that that is talking about when the Lord comes back, like in the coming of the Lord, not necessarily a separate event. The, the pre-tribulation kind of rapture idea came out of, like, trying to figure out, like, Um this timeline and Daniel with some prophecies that Daniel had and why there's a gap in kind of the middle of it. And so they think, well, maybe the church gets raptured first and then they're in heaven. And and also from trying to play out Revelation as if it's like a linear um, right, right. book and you end up with like timetables to go, oh, wait, where'd the church go with the people? Oh, they're all of a sudden up in heaven. But I think it's just giving us snapshots right. of heaven. so and anyway. it's tough
0: to take imagery that's that aren't written by the same authors, aren't in the same books, and try to cross reference them in a way that creates a helpful literal timeline. I think we end up in more trouble that way
1: right right and so but but that's the idea when people talk of a rapture um
0: and that and, and that means that's the idea that we would disappear you know, our clothes would be left here, you know, but like people who believe would be removed from this earth into heaven until after the tribulation. Right.
1: Because it's this tribulation time, which, you know, it would be this seven year period of time, um, you know, would come on the earth where all of these bad, other bad things are happening. And, and the logic says, hey, God hasn't destined us for, you know, wrath. He's destined us to be saved. And he's, he's, saves us, so he'll rescue us out of it. And there's a few other scriptures that they point to when they, when they use that. But but again, I think the tribulation thing, Jesus is the one who coined the term in Matthew 24, and he says such tribulation is going to come as, you know, has not been equaled up until that time or ever after. And what Jesus was talking about was what was about to happen in Jerusalem. It was He was answering specific questions that His disciples had asked him about, hey, when is the temple going to get torn down? When's Jerusalem going to get torn down? And in order to do the futurist interpretation, people have to postulate the idea that the temple's going to be rebuilt again, because if they think it's going to be torn down in the future, it's not even built yet, so they got to get it
0: built again. Which has led to a lot of tension in the Middle East today, right? Right. Because that thought, well, there's three sides, three religions all kind of you know, landing in one spot there, but... Obviously, it's a special place for Jewish people. They come to the Wailing Wall, which is the temple from the time of Jesus. That it's the base of the temple. It's actually a
1: retaining wall. Yeah, that was kind right. of by part of the, the yeah structure. the Temple
0: Mount, I guess. Yeah. And then there's the Dome of the Rock, which is on top of that Temple Mount currently, which is a Muslim holy place where it's thought I think um, where Muhammad ascended, or is Elijah. I get confused. Yeah, on I forget that end. what the whole But and then obviously Christians want to see the temple rebuilt there because they people with this futurist idea.
1: Yeah, some Christians. Some Christians. Yeah. Not all
0: Christians. Not me. Not not me either. But uh some Christians with this futurist idea believe that that will bring Because
1: the whole point of the New Testament was we don't need a temple. We're the temple. Right, right. I God's know. God's temple is now in yeah, us. Yeah,
0: yeah. We're living stones like, built together to be a home That's the whole point. So to, yeah.
1: To Postulate this idea of renewing a temple actually goes against all that. Reinstating sacrifices when the sacrifice has been offered once and for all. It's an abomination to God. So anyway, yeah, that's how I feel about it. Yeah,
0: that. but there is that thought process, and a lot of people end up supporting certain political stances and, and perspectives based on that thought yeah, process. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um so, so but that, that idea of tribulation, that we aren't going to experience it, like the the whole world, one of the promises Jesus gave us is he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Yeah. Like it was a promise. I, I'd never seen it in one of those pocket promise books or on like a right, nice card. Right,
0: <laughs> they not don't, They don't put it on a big uh, in this piece world, of wood and hang it on your wall. Yeah.
1: But take heart because I've overcome the world. So. Mm. And he overcame and that's kind of the theme of the book of revelation is overcoming and that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and yeah. not loving our lives, even unto death. Like even if they kill you, you know, he raises us from the dead and we all yeah. still win in the
0: end. <laughs> you know, I was talking to Marissa recently, my wife, and,
1: uh, that's we, good. You should do that.
0: We should. Uh, I was feeling discouraged because um, just with everything going on, I was feeling afraid. I had just watched the social dilemma <laughs> movie <laughs> oh, on man. Netflix. Yeah. And, and there was like this line in it that freaked me out and that I was just like, you know, and then my wife and I prayed, you know, we prayed for the election and it was the night of the debate. And so we were praying for the debate and everything, which I'd encourage you to do. Please pray for our country. But in the midst of that, I was just reminded of, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they have this double-fisted faith of, you know what? Uh, they're talking to Nebuchadnezzar and he wants them to bow down to this idol and they're saying, we won't bow down. And he says, I'm going to throw you in this furnace that's super hot. And on the one hand, they have this answer that's like, we believe that God will deliver us from your hands and from you know this furnace. But even if he doesn't, we will still worship him, even if he doesn't, you know? And then it it kind of happens both ways, right? Like they are thrown into this furnace. They aren't delivered from it. They're actually delivered through the fire. They have to go through that fire and come back out. And that's where they see this true glory of God. And it's just a powerful verse to me because I think so often I think, oh gosh, like what does it look like to be in this fire but still trusting God, even though I'm in the middle of the fire, I should be dead. Mm. Like, but I, my faith is still in God. Yeah. And, and it just was encouraging to me because even if stuff hits the fan. Yeah. My faith, I still want my faith to be in God. Yeah. Well, in our faith, it can't be in the outcome of anything. Right. Because
1: here's the thing, like, and this is where no matter what interpretive, like, grid you use to try to understand apocalyptic literature or specifically like the book of Revelation or these kind of things. Um what if what if it changes? Um what if something happens and it overturns like like I'll tell you the the thing that made me really shift because I, I grew up being like that um futurist kind of like premillennial pre-trib, you know, rapture thing. Um, and I actually had a book uh, my mom gave me called 88 reasons why Jesus is going to come back in 1988. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I had, How, that book. what year was it at that point? It was in the early eighties. Okay. Um, and then I, you know, it, it, it didn't come to pass. So that uh, those of you that are yeah, I don't think it happened, but um, I think the guy rewrote a book and wrote a new one about ninety four. And then it's every couple of years, you know, somebody comes out yeah. with kind of saying it's going to be any time now, and the Lord's coming back. And I remember at two thousand, there was like the whole Y two K thing, and oh, that was yeah. when uh, the Left Behind books came out. In and twenty twelve, a lot of people talking about yet. Yeah, then twenty twelve, the Mayan calendars, the and so. There's always some reason, and pretty much they always seem to line up with election years too. So <laughs> that just makes it feel like the end of the world because right there's you know, the antichrist. This is just the got worst elected. than it
0: could ever be. Yeah, how and, many times the other side has called the opposite president the antichrist? Right. Right.
1: So again, that but that type of interpretation, and I'd I read something, um, a report of some missionaries that talked about how in in China when the communist revolution happened and they were just lining up Christians and shooting them into Mm. ditches um, and just having these mass exterminations of Christians and and destroying churches and all these things that those, there were a lot of people that fell away because they had been taught that Jesus was going to come back before the tribulation. And when this stuff started happening, they had to go, well, maybe it was all wrong. Mm. And I just think, In our lives, there are things maybe that we experience that make us shift our interpretation and go, well, maybe um, maybe I was wrong. And I I think that idea of being willing to hold our interpretations loosely but hold tightly onto Jesus is the key to, you know, ultimately to a sustainable faith. Because, like, you're going to experience things in your life that are going to overturn your interpretations, and you're going to realize that you were wrong about something, and if you're willing to be humble enough to admit that and then to hold it loosely, you can change your interpretation. And, you know, I've changed my interpretations lots of times of a lot of things. And I mm. I probably will till the day I die because I'm always learning. Right. And if you think you've got it all nailed down, that's probably, you know, a good reason to think that well, you probably wrong. Well,
0: I think, wrong. too, it's been presented in a way where it feels like that interpretation is like scripture. If I let go of that interpretation, I'm saying that scripture isn't valid. That's how it's been taught almost in some mm. circles, where the interpretation is what's infallible versus the scripture. Right. You know, and I think just that understanding is hard to break free, especially when you're a person in our and i think this goes into a sustainable spirituality too that if you're relying on somebody else to quote unquote feed you mm. i had a i have a friend who's a pastor who always says being fed is the lowest form of eating <laughs> so <laughs> we always talk about like oh i i just feel so fed by this person so fed and it's and it's like if we're, if our trust is in having somebody else be that grand master interpreter for us. I'm not saying we can't look to pastors. I'm not saying we shouldn't learn and grow. But I, all I am saying is that we need to somehow break break the being fed and break into the, hey, I'm going to take on and learn for myself so that I don't think that their interpretation is actually scripture in and of itself i can hold their interpretation loosely enough it doesn't mean i don't believe them it doesn't mean that i don't trust what they're having to say it just means that i'm holding it with humility and and being able to know that that doesn't mean that the bible is false kind of like you said like where people are being killed and then people walk away from the faith because they believe the interpretation is the, is the scripture mm-hmm. right yeah Yeah. And and I think just partly being exposed
1: to the fact that there are different ways of interpreting things helps you to go, oh, okay, maybe I just assumed that I was seeing, you know, because people say, oh, just read it literally. But like. What do you mean by literally? It's just Mm. through your own lens that how you see it the first glance. Right. So. Right. uh, But if you, you know, the more you know about the different ways other people see it. And that's part of why we need each other and why you know, being in small groups and being in a church and not just being off by yourself as a Christian where you can kind of make up whatever you want. Um, we we need each other because, you know, when I share an idea and I go, well, yeah, this, I think this means this. And then somebody else goes, no, nah, I don't think so. It opens my mind to the fact that, oh, okay, maybe somebody else sees this differently than me. And I, mm. it doesn't mean I'm wrong or they're wrong, but it does mean, oh, there's more than one way to see this. And I, I probably should, have a little bit of uh, humility and openness yeah. to at least consider other ways of of seeing it or interpreting it.:
0: Yeah, I think intellectual humility is a really important thing to have if a faith is to be sustainable.